Britain, Britain, Britain. The land of crowded buses and cancelled trains. We've had colour TVs for over five years, flushing lavatories, and we invented the fish. But none of these technical advancements would have been possible without the great British eccentricity and putting people in prison for breaking some of the world's most bizarre laws. And it is some of those bizarre laws that we will be hearing more about today with your host, Monty Law. Over in the parish of Hammersmith, there's some rather ghostly goings-on. Mrs Peabody from number 8 wants to walk to the local church for her weekly flower arranging class, but she's heard all about the Hammersmith ghost and is too afraid to walk the streets alone. This story unfolds on the streets of Hammersmith, which is on the outskirts of London. From December 1803, the local villagers reported multiple sightings of a ghost covered in a white burial shroud. Unfortunately, due to fear and mass hysteria, rumours became rife that the ghostly apparition was starting to attack people, especially in the vicinity of the Hammersmith churchyard. Locals believed it was the ghost of a man who had committed suicide, which was his punishment to walk the earth for all of eternity. Such was the fear caused by these sightings, that it scared the driver of a wagon. The driver ran off in fear for his life, leaving behind his eight horses and 16 passengers. A pregnant woman allegedly came into contact with the apparition, causing her to faint, which reportedly led her to die. The local community was so frightened that they set up a neighbourhood watch group to look for the ghastly spectre. It transpired that the ghostly apparition wasn't anything of the sort and was in fact a local bricklayer called Thomas Millwood, who wore his white trade clothing late at night. In fact, he had previously been mistaken for a ghost due to his clothing. His relatives had even begged him not to wear such clothing late at night and unfortunately, he ignored their protests. So late on the evening of the 3rd of January 1804, Thomas Millwood left his house wearing his distinctive white linen trousers, a white flannel waistcoat, a white apron and white shoes. On this same night, one slightly inebriated neighbourhood watchman, Francis Smith, took a shotgun with him. It defies logic how the belief came about that this was a supernatural being, yet that they thought a bullet might adequately resolve the issue. As it happened on this fateful night, Smith shot at what he thought was a ghostly apparition coming toward him in the darkened street. Sadly, it was Thomas Millwood, the bricklayer. Smith went on to face trial at the Old Bailey for murder. In his defence, he stated that he genuinely believed Millwood was a ghostly apparition, and that's why he had shot him. The jury accepted this defence and found him guilty of the lesser offence of manslaughter. However, the judge sent them back to consider once again neither convict him of murder or acquit him entirely. They found him guilty of murder, and he was sentenced to death. Still. Public sympathy later commuted this with a pardon from the Crown to one year's imprisonment. The questions raised by Smith's defence haunted the legal books for another 180 years when finally, in 1984, the case of R.V. Williams came before the Court of Appeal. The judges overturned the conviction in this case, where a person used their mistaken belief as a defence. Meanwhile, at the courthouse in St Albans, in court number one, the judge, Mr Justice Stevenson, isn't seeing the funny side of a practical joke, and it's no laughing matter. 
The Contempt of Court Act 1981 sets some aspects of the original common law offence of contempt of court into statute. For those who find themselves in contempt of courts, the maximum penalty for criminal contempt is imprisonment for two years. So what is contempt of court? The truth is, contempt of court covers quite a lot of activities. In its broadest sense, it's when a person displays disorderly, contemptuous or insolent behaviour towards a judge or magistrate whilst the court is sitting, in a way that interrupts the due course of a trial or other judicial proceeding. Contempt can also be such activities as using any form of a camera to take a photograph or video during proceedings or using audio recording equipment in a court without the prior consent of that court. It also includes disobeying or ignoring a court order, refusing to answer the court questions if you're called as a witness, or publicly commenting on a court case when a judge has ordered you not to. Interestingly, you would expect those who fall foul of contempt of court be the accused, witnesses, or those seated in the public gallery, however, that isn't always the case. A few decades ago, a solicitor's clerk was found guilty of contempt of court. He was brought before the Crown Court judge and immediately committed to prison for six months. This was the case of Balog v St Albans Crown Court, which went to the Court of Appeal in 1975. In this case, Mr Stephen Balog was attending the new courthouse in St Albans. He was a defence solicitor's clerk in a case about pornographic films and books. A diligent clerk, he attended court daily receiving just a low amount of £5 per day. The case continued for several days and Mr Ballow grew exceedingly bored as each new day went by. He devised a plan to liven up proceedings and end the monotony. His idea, remarkably, was to set off a canister of nitrous oxide which, if you don't know, is laughing gas, into the courtroom hoping it would produce some sort of uh, amusing result. Balog stole half a cylinder of nitrous oxide from hospital car park to carry out his dastardly plan. He carried around this canister of laughing gas in his briefcase. His goal was to vent the cylinder's contents into the building's ventilation system, releasing the gas into the courtroom. He believed it would be released from the air vents just in front of the council's row, in the hope that it would have amusing results by enlivening their speeches. One night, he waited until dark and made his way up to the roof of the courthouse. He located what he believed to be the ventilation ducts and decided that's where he would be releasing the gas. At 11.15am the following morning, he walked into court one, carrying his briefcase, concealing the canister. This wasn't the courtroom in which his case was being heard. It was the courtroom next door. He had to enter that courtroom because he realised the night before that it was the only room with a door leading directly up to the roof. He placed his briefcase on a seat in the public gallery and left the courtroom for a while, waiting for the opportune moment to slip up to the roof unnoticed. However, he had been noticed the night before. His actions had drawn the suspicion of the officers of the court who had seen him go up to the roof. They were now watching him very closely. As soon as he had left the courtroom, they approached his briefcase, opened it and discovered the cylinder of Latin gas hidden inside. Balog was promptly apprehended by court staff and cautioned. He provided a full and frank admission to what he had done and his plan to set off the nitrous oxide into the court. He was kept in custody and the matter was reported immediately to Mr Justice Melford Stevenson, who was the presiding judge in the courthouse. 
At the end of that day's proceedings at 4.15pm, the judge had Balog brought before him. A police inspector gave evidence and Balog admitted to his actions. However, he stated it was meant as nothing more than a practical joke. The judge had thought differently. He did not see this as a laughing matter, but as a very, very serious contempt of court. Balog argued that he had been caught before he could carry out his plan. He also stated that he was in the wrong courtroom and therefore believed that it couldn't be contempt against proceedings in court one. Mr Justice Stevenson replied, You are obviously intending, at least, to disturb the proceedings going on in court in this building, of which this is one. You will remain in custody tonight and I will consider the penalty in the morning. The following morning, Balog was once again brought before the judge. Balog insisted that he did not feel competent to conduct his defence and that he was not represented in court. He was adamant that he had not committed contempt of court and that he had been arrested not for the contempt but for the theft of the canister of nitrous oxide. Mr Justice Stevenson said that he found it difficult to imagine a more serious contempt of court and that the consequences could have been very grave had Balog been able to carry out his plan. He sentenced Mr Balog to six months prison to which Balog uttered, you are a humorless automaton, why don't you self-destruct? Eleven days later, Balog sent a letter from the prison to the official solicitor. He admitted that his behaviour had been contemptible and that he was now thoroughly humbled. He asked for permission to apologise to the courts, hoping his contempt would be purged. The official solicitor made arrangements for counsel to be instructed, eventually bringing the matter before the appeals court. Lord Denning, who is the master of the roles at the appeals court, stated that Mr. Balog had the criminal intent to disrupt the court, but that wasn't enough to make out the offence. They found that he was guilty of stealing the gas cylinder, but no more than that. They agreed that the judge had been in error, and they overturned Balog's sentence. They added that even if it had been an offence of contempt, a sentence of six months was excessive. Mr. Balog ended up only spending 14 days in prison for his boredom and his practical joke that went wrong. This makes the more recent story of a prominent Manchester lawyer commandeering the intercom system in Manchester Magistrates Court and summoning the bench to court as the advocate is waiting seem very tame in comparison. No one likes to read hundreds of pages of text unless it's a good book like Great Expectations, Bravo 2-0 or Libino. Things were no different hundreds of years ago when a judge took great exception to a lengthy submission by one of the litigants. Whilst I enjoyed the theatrics of court life and the occasional act of verbosity, I also see the importance of balancing this with the need for practicality and speed in what has become an almost conveyor belt of cases in the criminal courts. Within the current large backlog of criminal cases, as of April 2022, there are 358,076 outstanding cases in the Magistrates Courts and 58,271 in the Crown Court. It is perhaps easier to appreciate the importance of using concise and plain English in court submissions. Over lengthy submissions by barristers are no longer acceptable. However, as we will see, this has been the case for some considerable time. During the reign of King James I, we find the curious case of Millwood v Weldon in 1596, in which the son of one of the litigants filed a 120-page submission to the court. The court felt that the submission could be made in just 16 pages. The Lord Keeper of the Great Seal was so outraged by this impertinence that he promptly imprisoned Richard Millwood in the notorious debtors' prison 
the fleet, until he paid the sum of £10 to the Crown and a further sum to the defendant for the affront caused by having to read his lengthy document. Not content with these fines, the Lord Keeper also made an order that a hole should be cut in the middle of the submissions, and for them to be hung round Millwood's head. He was then led around Westminster Hall and shown to all three courts within the hall before returning to the fleet. Notes from the time provide further detail of the Lord Keeper's punishment. That the Warden of the Fleet shall take the said Richard Millward and shall bring him into Westminster Hall on Saturday next, about ten of the clock in the forenoon, and then and there shall cut a hole in the middest of the same engrossed, and put the said Richard's head through the same hole, and so let the same hang about his shoulders with the written side outward, and then the same so hanging shall lead to the same Richard bareheaded and barefaced round about Westminster Hall, whilst the courts are sitting, and shall show him at the bar of every of the three courts within the hall, and shall then take him back to the fleet. Things were so much simpler then. These days, parading a lawyer around with excessive documents over his head is considered unnecessary. In the Ashmore v Corporation of Lloyd's 1992 case, Lord Templeman reminded the courts that the courts should not be overburdened with lengthy and often unnecessary arguments. He stated that lawyers are under a duty to cooperate with the court by chronological, brief and consistent pleadings which define the issues and leave the judge to draw his own conclusions about the merits when he hears the case and to assist the judge by simplification and concentration and not to advance a multitude of ingenious arguments in the hope that out of ten bad points, the judge will be capable of fashioning a winner. The courts have issued explicit warnings against the use of lengthy statements. As recently as 2014 case of Caldero Trading v Liebson, the Court of Appeal stated that their regret that the earlier power may no longer be available today a year later, in the case of Shenguiz and others v Grant Thornton UK LLP and others 2015, Mr Justice Leggett had cause to remind us of the judge's stance concerning overly verbose submissions. He sent the claimant's legal team back to the drawing board to clean down their overly lengthy submission. In this case, the statement of claim, which had taken months to prepare, consisted of 94 pages far exceeding the permitted 25-page limit. The judge found that the statements had been addressed correctly, but, but only from page 61 onwards. After hearing arguments of the merits of going back to the drawing board and simplifying the submission or continuing with the lengthy statement of claim as it stood, Mr Justice Leggett struck out the claim, disallowing all costs and instructing the submission of a new statement of claim of no more than 45 pages within 21 days. And so we conclude today's journey through some of Britain's more bizarre laws. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as much as I have. I must dash, I'm off to steal a canister of laughing gas. I'm in court next week. Until next time, goodbye! Thank you for listening to Bizarre Laws of the UK podcast. If you've loved this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you like to post. Be sure to tag me and let me know why you like this episode and what you'd like to hear more about in the future. That'll help me to know what to create for you.